Hello and good evening, ladies and gentlemen, from the highest point on Florida State's campus and the hottest room in Seminole Sports. You are listening to Tomahawk Talk on WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State, coming to you live from room 420 inside of Diffenbaugh. Save your jokes at the door. I am your host, Nicholas Carlisle, bringing you the latest, the greatest, and the Florida Statest in everything sports, or at least as much as we can fit within the, the two hours the two <laughs> this time around. Uh, for people all around the world, of course, you can find us on Twitter at talk underscore Tomahawk, and you can call into the show at 850-644-1837. Once again, that's 850-644-1837. If you were expecting the Your Voice talk show at this time, I regret to inform you, not really regret, that there is a sports takeover in the studio, but we hope that you stay a while and chat with us regardless Welcome to Tomahawk Talk, everyone, and welcome to the first two-hour show in the history of Tomahawk Talk. I am absolutely ecstatic to be here with all of you. for The, the first one during the fall. The first the one summer. during the fall. <laughs> I knew you wouldn't let that one slide on me. <laughs> uh, lots of voices to chime in, lots of opinions to hear, 10 panelists to be heard on the show tonight, and a lot of time to do it. Uh, first things first, a belated happy birthday to my longtime co-host, Chris Camacho. Happy oh. Sweet 16. Thank you. <laughs> I'm kidding. Happy 22, but thanks anyway. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of Sweet 16, uh, we'll get into all the Florida State basketball uh, as we can handle later on. Talk a lot of March Madness as well. Catch up on some Florida State baseball, what they need to do to get back rolling, although they did have a good week uh, against Notre Dame. Or excuse me, a good weekend against Notre Dame, and then get into the wild NFL free agency from the past few weeks. Lots of catch-up to do. We've been gone a while, so without further ado, we have a lot to chop through. Let's introduce some of the panel for tonight. What is a captain without his crew? I am joined, as always, by my good friend and co-host, Chris Camacho. Was in Spain this past week for spring break. Only a little bit jealous about that. <laughs> How was that? Personally, Spain is one of my favorite countries. Barcelona, in particular. Is Barcelona one, is really is nice. one of my favorite I, cities. I, uh, I spent the week in Valencia, which is about three hours south of Barcelona, actually. Um, it, it's it's nice. I haven't been there in three years. I lived in Valencia actually for about nine months during my freshman year, so it was, it was my first time going back. It uh, felt like I never left. Ate for very cheap, so that was good. <laughs> and joining us tonight, former host of Tomahawk Talk, weekend anchor for WCTV, doing the station and the show. Very proud, uh, Mr. Michael Hudak. It's good to have you on the show, my friend. Oh, it's good to be back. Happy birthday to Chris Camacho. I had no idea. I, I <laughs> didn't make it very public, but thank you. <laughs> 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 uh, we're work friends. <laughs> Everybody thank Facebook for letting uh, them know that it was Chris's for birthday. For reminding everyone. <laughs> As if that's not how most people remember to say happy birthday to a lot of people. Uh, right. Uh, and to his far left, uh, Mr. Get What You Pay For, Brandon Spencer, it's good to see you, bud. How was your spring break? Things are going great, man. Had a fun time in New Orleans. Miami was great. How did you get that nickname? Pay for, what'd you say? Pay? Uh, Mr. Get, get, get for what you get pay what for. You pay for. Get what you pay for, yeah. You know, there's a time where I got something and I needed to finish it in a certain amount of time. It was a it was a beverage, and you know, I paid for it, and so I wanted to finish it. And so I'm now Mr. You know, finish what you pay for. Well, I mean, it changes every single week, but, you know, uh, I am basketball is over, so I can't say the man who single-handedly carries Luke Face basketball team. Uh, uh, that's not an O. That is a – that's like that's, – that's, that's fact. Um, that's fact. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, Brandon was a point god. Point so. god. Appreciate that. And speaking of that man uh, in the studio, we have Mr. UCF Luke Fay. How are you holding together? Not good. 
You know, it's. Uh, I thought I thought that n- nothing could be worse than UCF losing in the Fiesta Bowl, and then as as a self-proclaimed UCF football fan, you know, I, I don't have too much of an affiliation with the basketball team, but that wouldn't hurt a lot, especially since you know I'm I'm a divided guy. I I, I drink the Kool Aid as well, the Duke Kool Aid. So it's um I was going I was going uh, since ever JJ Reddick. Oh, okay. If wow. you want to if you want to hack right. into any of my accounts, JJ Reddick is a good guess. Thank you for broadcasting um, that. Just yeah. to let you guys know that. Uh but yeah, it it kind of hurt. Um I'm, you know, not going to lie. I I laid in darkness for for a very good period of time. And uh you know, it's I think a lot of people were robbed of a uh, March Madness moment there. And uh, we'll never get that back. I think you still got <laughs> yeah, maybe so. And normally we stop right there and go on ahead. But as I said, we do have a packed studio, and I do mean packed. Like, it's getting warm in this room. There are so many bodies in here. Uh, we have more people in the Shark Tank, both on the show. Uh, uh, Brett Rutherford and Lucas Vieta. Uh, how are you two? Vetia, thank you. I, I was struggling with that. Uh, Brett, you must be excited for baseball season to officially start in Lucas for the NBA playoffs, I'm sure. Yes, sir. Yeah, it's right. Baseball season's right around the corner, and the studio's getting so packed that there wasn't even room for us in there. We're over here in the Shark Tank, doing the show. I get a beautiful view of the back of Mr. Luke Fay's head, uh, and we, we are ready to go. <laughs> Lucas, how about the NBA playoffs? Are you excited? Oh yeah, definitely. I don't think I've been excited, for, especially for the Eastern Conference playoffs, in I don't know how long, man. Ready to go. It's the first time in a long time that LeBron James is not going to be anywhere near postseason basketball which is uh, something to behold within itself yes uh, and on behalf of the lakers you're welcome <laughs> <laughs> chris, <laughs> chris camacho mike hudak brandon spencer luke fay brett rutherford lucas Vetia. Vetia. Yeah. <laughs> and i once again i am your host nick carlisle and we are starting <laughs> off the top which if you didn't already know is the segment where i take a look at the past week in sports rip the top stories and ask our panel about them forcing them to come up with the answers off the top of their head at the top of the show and tonight we are starting not with baseball not with football not with basketball even though that's not entirely true we are starting with lonzo ball uh, as it was reported over the weekend that Lonzo has severed ties with the big baller brand and co-founder Alan Foster, who is a friend of uh, the father, LeVar Ball, uh, due to the fact that Foster has a criminal past, and apparently he cannot account for $1.5 million that were in Lonzo Ball's personal and business accounts. And I swear that's probably not a lot to him, but that's a lot to us, and it's a pretty big deal. There have been a lot of talks about folding the company, actually, altogether over the past uh, few days. But I'm interested in general to hear everyone. What are your thoughts on this development, Chris? Welcome to welcome to Chino Hills, California, ladies and gentlemen. No, no. Um, I honestly, I think this is a good move on behalf of Lonzo because as a guy who's essentially fall, been under the wing of his father and listened to his father for the entirety of his career, I think it's about time he finally started making some moves of his own. Finally started, you know, calling his own shots. So I think I, I, it's it's a good identity move for Lonzo. And and probably a good, uh, good one for his own, for his branding as well, Mike. Um, well, I, I read a little bit about this story today, and first things first, it seems that not only has he kind of severed those relationships from Big Baller Brand, but he and his two younger brothers have reportedly kind of severed their relationship with um, Lavar Ball, their father, their biological father. And to me, I think that it's important to have that tone underlying that that's a very serious thing and that's something that should never be joked about taken for granted or or anything like that but there's still a lot to this story that's out there that's my gut reaction when i look at this is wow 
think of how much this family has been involved in the marriage between entertainment and sports and entertainment and basketball for years now, at least since he was with uh, with UCLA, with, when Lonzo was with UCLA. So when I think of this, I kind of pray for the family. I kind of pray for them and, you know, not to take it to too much of a teary, uh, serious tone, but that's the gut reaction that I have with this. I never really liked the big baller brand to begin with. I think that it was a great brand for the family and stuff, but I just didn't see the necessary, you know, uh, how it connected to the game, like how it connected to basketball. I saw Alonzo as someone who was a number two overall pick, had a great opportunity, and then didn't have really much of a jump shot. It had to be corrected. So if that's what you're basing your brand off of, so be it. Luke? Yeah, I think that Mike hit it on the head there that it's supposed to be family first and then work. And it seems like LeVar has personified his company a certain way and now, you know, you could call it Big Bankrupt Brand. Uh, okay. But but that being said, Lonzo, the, the, there was a report that came out that said that they think that Lonzo's issues with his foot and his ankle could have been tied into the shoes he was wearing, the Big Baller Brand shoes. And so you've seen really? the hints. Really? You've wow. seen the hints wow. at he, he put um, a thing on Instagram, you know, you got to move on. And then he put a picture where it said just, you know, um, one of the just do it ad type of uh, things. It, it's only crazy if, and then it was a picture of, of, of Lonzo. So you got to tie into he's making a career decision as well where if you get injured over and over and over, ankle injuries can kill your career. Steph Curry was almost bottom. He, he was he was almost thrown out of the league because of that. Um, I wouldn't say thrown out, but seen as a bust. And so Lonzo is taking a financial decision where he's not going to get his $100 million that LeVar said he was going to get from Nike, but really, if you have good ankles, you're going to get a $50 million contract. So, Brandon? I have a different take on this. Uh, I think this was all part of the plan. Um, I think that in the end, he wasn't going to keep the big bar brand as like the whole game changer for the league. I think he's using it as a basis for, if not just Lonzo, but his sons can get huge shoe contract deals with other companies i mean now he can go wherever he wants and he's going to get a pretty good contract because of the potential that he's had and i think that he's proven with his play yeah he does have a jump shot but he does everything else on the court so i think this is all a marketing plan which is i think these guys are marketing geniuses in the first place and i think it's going to turn out to be well do well for the balls including lonzo moving forward that's Brett, my opinion. Brett, what do you think? Yeah, yeah. Before this moment, I could not be less opinionated on this topic. Uh, but since you've got me live on air, um, I, I, I kind of agree with Brandon here that this is a uh, probably going to be a positive in the long run for the Ball family and their marketing dynasty. Lucas, what do you think? Yes, I'm going to agree on that, that it, this should definitely be a positive. You know, I like how he's moving on, getting getting out getting people that are you know not making good impacts on his life out of the way and now he you know is setting himself up for more future successes and i don't know about you guys but i'm on the lonzo ball to nike hype train the lonzo ball to nike hype train i I, i'm curious that you that brandon and 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 brett and lucas you were taking that this as a positive for the ball family because i'm kind of more on the on the lines with mike and i think that this is really the example of what of the negative uh, things that can happen when, as a father, you, you try to take advantage of the success of your family and the success of your son. I think this is a great move for Lonzo. Whether or not the injury stuff 
is tied to the shoes or not, I think this is a good move for him. He is starting to move away from the shadow of his father. And for all that we've known about LeVar Ball for, what, the last three years, it's been it, – it's felt to me like he's – all of his antics, all of everything. Sure, you can cast a blanket over it and say, well, it's just trying to bring, bring attention to his son and it's trying to uh, hype the family. But under under all of that, it's trying to profit off, to your, off, to your son, uh, off of your son's success. And I think that as sad as this is to see turmoil within a family that's never good, I think it serves Laval Bar right. Uh, uh, that that this is happening, uh, that you know the, the the company is folding, and that there is tension within the family. This is what happens. This is a bad thing that can happen when you try to take advantage of the ones that you love. And I'm taking this as more of a of a moral lesson than anything sports related. But uh, so I guess in the end, good for Lonzo serves Lavar right. Uh, I hope it. I hope everything resolves itself in the end because family drama really is kind of some of the worst drama that you that you could really ever have. So. With that all being said, that was the Off the Top segment uh, brought to you by me, sponsored by me, uh, answered by our gigantic panel in the Shark Tank in the studio. Uh, so just as, you know, you know, we start off this show, as we normally have over the past couple of weeks, we've been talking about uh, Florida State softball. And normally we kind of gloss over Florida State softball, and that's simply because the team is so good that it gives us as reporters nothing to talk about besides the fact that they are so good and if we came on the air every monday and just told you how good florida state softball was then it would be a boring first half of the show but over the past week megan king threw herself a no-hitter and then liked it so much that she threw herself another no-hitter in her next outing so back-to-back no-hitters for megan king and this was the third no-hitter for florida state in four games the other was a combined no-hitter by mckenzie herzog and kara uh, billadell but the Knowles have held batters to a uh, .066 batting average uh, over this time span and have only allowed one run in the last 23 innings. Now, obviously, the offense has been there, too. Three players batting over 400 for the Seminoles uh, as of the 24th of March, so that was uh, this past Sunday. But uh, the tour that Megan King has been on has just been incredible. Simple question, where does she stand in the line of all-time Seminoles? Is there any doubt that she is among the all-time greats to ever put on the Garden of Gold, Chris? Oh, absolutely, well, and especially considering you have a ring to show for it. I think that that definitely goes a long way in terms of in terms of your legacy with the team, um, the production and the veteran leadership that she's provided for such a young pitching staff um, and a new pitching staff at that. You know, to the, uh, this is this is a team that's trying to go back and, and repeat what they did last season. Um, and I think Megan King has provided herself the perfect leadership example for this team and, and, and essentially laying down the groundwork for them to repeat. Mike, do you agree? She's not only um, the best pitcher in the country right now when it comes to collegiate softball, she's so good in terms of Florida State athletics that she won't only be in the Sports Hall of Fame or in the Florida State Hall of Fame. She'll probably get her image and likeness put on one of the glasses at Madison Social. That's how good she is. (laughs) So when I look at it that way and I think of how she's not only how good she's performing this year in the two no-hitters and putting this team in a position to make another run to Oklahoma City and beyond – I think of where they were last year in that peak, that zenith, you know, that that top, you know, you can't get higher than that, yet somehow she's, ex, you know, excelling. She's bringing that play to another level, and so too is the team, and they're following suit. She's really been not only a great leader on the field, but off the field, and it shows in the stats, it shows in the wins, it shows in everything. 
whereas Florida State softball has been excelling, and they've been excelling pretty much the entire season. Florida State baseball has seen kind of a dip in production. They had, as I said at the beginning of the show, they did have a better week versus or better weekend versus Notre Dame. But uh, Florida State gets you know Mike Martin his two thousandth win, and then they head to Gainesville, and you know they're up six nothing. Oh. Uh, Off of JC Flowers uh, Grand Slam, yeah, which which you know is. I think every single time we see a J.C. Flowers Grand Slam, we or, or a home run in general, we all kind of think, "Wait, wait, this isn't right." right. And it's and it's continuously happened over the course of the year. He, he has been the biggest surprise this season. Uh, you know, in the field and on the mound, he has been absolutely amazing to watch. And you know, Florida State is up six runs, and then yeah, uh, implosion. I guess is the operative word for that. Yes. Uh, I think the game twenty one, yeah, twenty one to seven was the final score. Was I believe twenty one or just twenty. I, I think it was. Excuse I, me, I'm confusing the other loss, seven, which was the which was yes. the worst loss in uh, to the Gators in the history of the school, which I believe came in the uh, 1980s, and that was twenty one to six. So pitching has obviously emerged as a gigantic problem for this baseball team, Luke. Where where are the answers for this rotation? You, you you don't really know. Uh, that's that's kind of been the problem we saw in Major League Baseball. They went to an opener for the Rays, and a couple of teams kind of adopted that. If if you can't really get through games with your starting pitcher, you might as well maybe try to switch something up and throw a guy for one or two innings, and then bring in your eventual starter to go four or five innings. Get a little bit deeper into the game because what just from covering JUCO baseball over at TCC. If you can get out of that first inning, you're pretty good going through the rest of the game. It's the I first think that inning. Gator that, game showed otherwise. But what'd you say? I said I think that Gator game showed otherwise. It, it but. did, but I think that's anomaly. I think that's one of those things where it's in your head. You go up against a team that always beats you, and you just can't figure it out. And that's been Mike Martin's kryptonite is the Florida Gators and the College World Series. And then, of course, that that disastrous outing uh, in Gainesville carried over to North Carolina State, who were uh, at the time one of the few remaining unbeaten teams in the entire country. Uh, And they got the Florida State absolutely got walloped in the first game of that series as well. And I forget the run differential, but it was a lot. Sixteen nothing. Sixteen nothing. Brett, you know, we the Florida State got off to a similar start last year. Last year they started off, I believe, maybe 14 or 15-0, and this year they did the exact same thing. And then they ran into some trouble. They dropped a couple of games, two or three in a row, and then they started to you know, get back on the rise. Is that what you see happening again this year? Yeah, I, I really think, you know, building off of what Luke said with the pitching staff, they don't have a dominant ace on this staff, and they might have to rely on piecing together uh, the 27 outs needed to win a baseball game. They've got a lot of crafty left-handers. But with that being said, I, I, I think they're, they're, this team's only going to go as far as their bats take them. Uh, and with, with four freshmen in the lineup, uh, it'll be interesting to see how that how that progresses throughout the season. Brandon, do you think it's just a pitching problem, or do you think it's just the fact that this team is extremely, extremely young for Mike Martin? No, I was going to say that. They're just extremely young, I think. It's going to be a lot of inconsistencies because the guys are so young. They're going to eventually hit a wall, just like um, Robbie Martin has hit. But I think eventually uh, they're going to get back on track, and then we're going to get the ball running. But it's going to continue to be inconsistency after inconsistency as they're trying to uh, get used to this college game because I mean they're they're it's a very young team. Chris, uh, not quite sure. I believe who who, who does Florida State uh, play next this weekend? I believe this it's weekend? yeah, it's a it's a home series against. Um, it will be against Boston College. Boston College, and I believe there is a Florida game somewhere in there uh, as yeah, well. Tuesday. So tomorrow that's so that is tomorrow. I was I was trying. I I had my weeks a little bit messed up. Um, 
what what is Florida State going to have to do to make sure that they don't have the same thing happen again that happened to them the past two weeks with a, poten- a potential loss to Florida, exactly, and then going into a weekend series against Boston College and potentially dropping a few games there? Well, you know, I'll, I'll tell you, defensively, defensively, they've got to keep it together. I, looking at their last stretch of games, Florida State, since win 2000, has had at least one error in every single game leading up until them. They're four and five. Go, and, and, you know, th- that's one thing that, that Eleven talked about at the start of the season was how proud he was of his defense of maintaining those zeros in the error column. Nander DeSedas has the most, uh, you know, so maybe we're talking about youth here. Maybe it's a, it's a youth issue. It's getting used to it. But it's just it's interesting seeing the difference between the start of the season versus now. Granted, you're also talking about difference in, in maybe the skill, the, the skill of the opponent because now, now we're in ACC play. Granted, ACC isn't known for its top-notch baseball pro, uh, programs altogether but at the same time it, it's 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 elevated skill it, maybe it is just a matter of uh of maintaining because uh, again baseball is especially baseball is a game that's played above the shoulders you got to stay in it mentally and especially from a pitching perspective because once once those batters once the opposing team rattles you uh, at the plate honestly that can do it that that can honestly throw in the rest of the game which is what we saw against florida so who who would you uh, put in? I guess as not necessarily your Sunday starter, but your your third slot pitcher. Um, Connor Grady has I, I has was going to say pitched well, uh, well enough more so than others. Better than Pollock. Better than uh, Drohan. Drohan has you know he's been. I guess a little bit more inconsistent, I guess is the word that I would use for it. He does, you know, get the strikeouts when he needs to, but he ends up having a very, very high pitch count because he loses some command sometimes. And obviously that does help him in some situations, obviously with the strikeouts. But uh, so Connor Grady for you, Chris. Yeah, I I would definitely throw Grady in there. He's shown very good consistency. Um, Looking at his, uh, looking at his sets, he's got 24 strikeouts. Uh, He's only given up six hits is that right? he's only given up six hits in, in in all of his pitching appearances um i'm just looking at who can keep that me- actually if i'm not mistaken he was a starter against florida i think he was as well he, he pitched the first three innings um i'm not entirely sure why he got pulled i think it was a pitch count issue is that okay so his pitch count gets high as well um but i would give him another chance i think he's been your most consistent pitcher uh, on that staff, and I, I would throw him out there again. Over or more consistent than Parrish and Ike and Van Ike. Yes, Parrish has. I, the, I, I agree with. I, I think it was it was Brett who said it that there hasn't. We don't have an ace on this staff, and, and and I think, but I think Connor Grady has shown at least the tendencies of someone who can at least provide that consistent good start for you. Lucas, uh, Chris mentioned that defense was becoming a bit of a problem for. Uh, Florida State, and that's really kind of actually surprising because I believe at one point, and that was before uh, the Gainesville game, Florida State led the country in amount of they errors did. allowed. I think now they're that, not in the top fifty, and that's nationally really something to be concerned about. Is what would you, what would you be more concerned about? Is is pitching really the first thing, or do you really want to crack down on the errors and all the defensive issues? Yeah, I would say pitching is more of a concern than anything. The errors, again, like Chris said, baseball, it's a game played above the shoulders. It's a mental game. They just need to stay focused out there and, you know, stop making those mistakes because I know they're better than that. But, yeah, the pitching is definitely seems to be the primary problem on this team right now. I'm so, actually going to chime in on that, and I'm I'm going to disagree with you there, Lucas. I'm going to say it's, it's the defense because if, if, if a pitcher, like I said, needs to stay in it mentally, and if he's not getting help on the defensive end, that's going to get to his head as well because he could be, uh, you know, you could have a pitcher who's doing really well, but if he's, if, if 
uh, ground balls getting through Nander DeSantis' legs and, and it's putting more runners on base, creating more pressure, that is going to contribute to the mental problem that these pitchers are having. Nick, Nick Shane Drohan, he has 24 base on balls. Mm-hmm. Twenty-four yeah, but walks, strikeouts. but he also has thirty-two strikeouts. And so. so that's that's the problem: is how many walks are you giving up in the errors? Infielding is not something that's a that's a basic form. That's like dribbling a basketball. If you can't get a ground ball or a fly ball, um, that's been the problem with Florida State's baseball team the last four years I've been here. Is they're so good? They were so good at pitching before, and they were they were a good hitting team. It was just those mental mistakes, you know, fly balls in the outfield. And in the infield ground balls, they couldn't get it done. And do you really think that 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 could bite you later on in the uh, later on in the year? Those easy mistakes. Mike, quickly before we go to uh, break here, what's what's your concern level for this team, if any at all? I think we're still kind of early in the season. I think that this, I basically, guys, I think this is a good team. Um, they may not be at the level of the 2017 Omaha team, but even that team had surprise elements that did not emerge until the end of the season. If you remember the Super Regional game where it came down to the end, it was Will, Will Zierzow, Will Zierzow <laughs> that came and threw a one-hit, no-run gem. If the Seminoles can get themselves in a position to host a regional and possibly host a super regional, I'm going to take them. It's when they go on the road because what you see is that you have all of these things. It's kind of like 80% loading. It's it's not – you just don't have every – all the pieces there. Um, someone like Robbie Martin who Brandon mentioned, um, this is a guy who, yeah, he has struggled from time to time, but he's also the team's leading hitter. He's got 29 hits. He's got the best average on the team, but – when it comes to getting guys in, you know, to home plate and scoring runs, he's only has one home run on the year. Like this team is really good until they're not. They're good until it's up to a certain point. If you don't have that last 20%, you're not going to make it to Omaha. But if you can get that 80%, if you can really get to that point, you'll host a regional, you'll host a super regional, and anything can happen. The concern level is a little bit high given the pitching, of course, because Drew Parrish came in this year and was nothing like we all expected him to be. I think that that last game last year really rattled him mentally after he came in and threw 91 pitches, sat for two hours, came out, walked two guys, and then gave up the season on a three-run home run, but I digress. Y'all, <laughs> this team is going to be fine if they can host postseason play. And something really quick that you did mention, uh, leaving runners on base, runners in scoring position being left has been a definite uh, additional problem for Florida State uh, so far this season. We are going to take about a 90-second break. You're listening to Tomahawk Talk on WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State. We'll see you in 90 seconds.
And welcome back to Tomahawk Talk on WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State. On the other side of that short break, we were finishing up talking about, uh, I guess, the rise and the fall and the potential rise again of uh, the early season for uh, Florida State baseball. But moving on to a season that just ended um, about around the time that I think everybody felt that it was going to end but uh women's basketball were eliminated in the round of 32 by the south carolina gamecocks after they beat uh the bucknell bison in the first round of the ncaa tournament uh chris this team we've talked a lot about this team this year the ups and the downs but at the end of at the end of it all this team really has been something really i guess i don't want to say unprecedented but definitely special oh 100 percent. again I, I think to see the produ- the the productivity that they've had as such a young team, um, I, I I think it's gone beyond what most fans would have expected out of a young team, especially in you know uh, um, bringing in all the all the new talent that they've had. Uh, I I I really love what I've seen out of the leadership. I think Kaya Gillespie has solidified herself as probably the best player on this team. Uh, she had a great tournament. And I think going forward, because especially considering the the class that Coach Sue is bringing in, I think next year Florida State women's basketball is going to be a team to look out for. And we'll get into predictions definitely later on. But, Brandon, obviously you know this team very well. Uh, What's the biggest thing that you would take away from this season if you were a player on this team? They're going to be great next year. They were were so young. And like you were saying before, it wasn't like unprecedented, but they, they, they went above what they were expected to do. And I think with the leadership that they have on this team, they had no seniors on this team, they have a lot of people coming back, a lot of people coming back from injuries, I think they're going to be very talented. We have a lot to look forward to with this team next year in terms of leadership, um, in terms of confidence, uh, in terms of knowing what role they're going to play and how, what, how they're going to play it within uh, Coach, Coach Sue's system. And so I think next year is going to be very promising for this team with uh, Kai coming back, with Nikki coming back, with Wilfo coming back, and the rest of our underclassmen. I think we're going to be a force to be reckoned with, not only in the ACC, but in the nation. Luke, I said at the beginning of this that, you know, at least I felt that Florida State exited at about the right time and about the time that uh, everybody, you know, expected that they would. But would you would you agree with that statement? Is this was this I I don't want to say the perfect season because obviously the ideal perfect season uh, for for a team is obviously a championship. But for the team that Florida State had this year, is this about as as good as it could have gotten? To be frank, um, if we went back to when they lost the two probably starters at the beginning of the season, um, do you really think that they were going to make the tournament at that point? And every you know, everyone was kind of thrown in the towel early. It, they beat a couple of teams in the ACC, and then, okay, they might be pretty good. But you look at it, and this is probably Coach Sue's best coaching job you could ever do. And, I would agree and the with best, that. The best coaching jobs don't come with good players. They come with players that necessarily aren't ready or aren't the most talented. And for what she achieved, a five seed in the NCAA tournament, um, going off of what do they have seven to eight scholarship players right now mm-hmm. um, with that are healthy seven or eight scholarship players that are healthy and the production they got and just could not stop getting those injuries even even towards the end of the year you gotta you gotta really tip your cap to uh, coach sue and I mean you can't get you can't get much better as you said Nick than than what what she did now obviously it's hard to judge this so early uh, 
Chris and, and Brandon have already uh, expressed their opinion that Florida State is going to be a, a force to be reckoned with this next season. Uh, it's it's hard to give you know in, expectations and judge this so early on. But Mike, what do you, where do you see this team at this this point? next year this team wasn't just young guys they were the youngest team in the ncaa tournament when it comes to women's athletics like they were it it was incredible that they got to this point i think that first of all this year shows two things one it shows how much respect inevitably coach sue is um given deservedly so from the rest of the people in the nation like from the national eye because this team was kind of sitting on the sixth seed possibly even lower heading into the NCAA tournament. Yeah, they had a pretty good record, but they still didn't have all of the tools and necessary things that other teams around the country had. The fact that they were a five seed coming in, that's to me, that's like, that's really good. It shows there's respect. That's the first thing. The second thing is how this team um, deserves that success and, and gets that attention rightfully so. And so they got into this tournament. They took South Carolina basically down to the wire. And I think that this game is something that you could look at as a good loss. So when you have good losses, there's it's only up from here. Um, this team doesn't have any seniors. Kaya, I think, would be considered the Shakela Thomas of this team going into next year. She should be. Mm-hmm. Combine that with Nikki Okomu. This, I, mean, if, I think that uh, Florida State has something very special here, and they can make it back to the Elite Eight for Brittany Brown, all of those people. Like, it, they have the tools to have a special senior class and a special year next year. That's really where – that's what I get from this year. Brett, what do you think? Yeah, I think this team was, was a really good team. Uh, but obviously with the injuries they had to deal with, there were some cracks. Some games their shooting was off, their defense was off, free throws – and I think next season, when you get everyone healthy and you bring in this pretty good recruiting class, it's going to fill in those cracks, and this team has a shot to make some noise in the ACC. And uh, moving over to the men, which obviously is the, the hot topic on campus and really uh, the hot topic anywhere in Tallahassee. And uh, just I just I don't think we've been on since a whole bunch of stuff has happened for this basketball team Chris I don't think we've been on the I don't think we were on the air before the ACC championship game no I don't think uh we were there for much of the uh the ACC champion uh, the, ch- yeah. the tournament I think we were I think the last show that we had was right before the Virginia Tech game yeah and I said that Virginia Tech was gonna win it. oh <laughs> I was wrong uh <laughs> but since since then uh, obviously Florida State you know beating uh, number one seed of Virginia I believe they were number one seed or maybe Duke was the number one seed either in the, way in the ACC tournament in the ACC saying. tournament either way uh, Virginia was a huge victory for this program uh, lose to Duke in the ACC championship and you know a couple games here uh, basically a, a home game for up in uh, <laughs> for Vermont which was definitely something that Florida State had to overcome uh, it was a great shooting night for Vermont you know it was one of those games where a, a team three. like that has to shoot like that to keep it close with the team I think that the, the caliber of Florida State uh, they had to overcome that and then uh, Florida State, uh, of course, most recently overcoming the Ja Morant show. Um, the, the fighting Jaws. The fighting Jaws, as Brandon said behind. Uh, how, do you, how are you feeling about this team at this point, Chris? I Well, look, I, I think you got to look. Uh, obviously, uh, Vermont is a team that shouldn't have been an issue. They were, But it, it, it's a challenge that they overcame. I think the big story right now for Florida State is, is – as Terrence Mann said in his press conference after the game against Murray State, they're fighting for a bigger purpose right now, and that's they're fighting for Mike Kofer. I think, you know, not having – because I think we were talking about it before the show that 
Phil won't be traveling with them to Anaheim. And I think not having him there, not having Phil Kofer there is going to be a big, big deal because you're not going to have that veteran leadership there with you. And, and Phil's a brother. I mean, they're all brothers on that team. And seeing the way that they fight for each other, seeing Terrence Mann tear up after he was asked that question, um, I, I think that just shows how much love they have going for Phil. And, and I think that is what's going to be driving them when they head to Anaheim this weekend. Lucas, at the beginning of the season, obviously we knew what this team was or what definitely the potential that it was supposed to have. And now that Florida State has found itself once again back in the Sweet 16, back-to-back Sweet 16 appearances, um, would you, do you feel satisfied, I guess, in this season? Would you, if, if the season ended against Gonzaga uh, on the 28th, would you feel satisfied with the season for Florida State, or do you think that there should be more? I mean, I would absolutely feel satisfied. You know, already I've, I've exceeded, they've exceeded my expectations for this season. I thought we were good, but they've been showing that we are a team that should have national championship aspirations. We've been getting it done on all aspects of the floor. Brandon, you were shaking your head. You think there's more? Yeah, I, I think there's more, especially after coming off a, a, a season that we had last year uh, with the way we played Gonzaga last year as well as Michigan. But I, I think we have a lot more to prove. And I, I wish that we, um, we, we were able to have Phil for the, uh, for the game because of the matchup uh, problem that it's gonna, we're going to have with the front court of Gazaga. But I think with the emergence, I think the difference with this team right now is just the way the mindset of uh, Terrence Mann and the way that he's been playing and the, the mindset that he's been playing with these last few games. And I think that if he continues to that, as long with his vocal leadership, I think that they're going to be that's going to be enough to lead us to the final four. Luke Mann has been in a different mentality. Um, I, I almost said mentality, and that would have been that would have been fantastic. And <laughs> he's seems to be in a different, I guess, competitive mentality ever since that 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 scrum against Virginia Tech. Do you think that that might have been a turning point? I mean, Terrence Mann was definitely having a better season towards the end of the season after he kind of had a a, a lower middle middle uh, row. Uh, I guess ride through the season, but you don't you don't have to you know try to round that Brandon Brandon you and me we called him out at the in the middle of the year because what was he doing he was the piece that you, you know he he was the foundation that stayed from that freshman year class and he was not living up it, it seemed like he just wasn't there on the court and I I don't exactly know exactly this the scrum that you're mentioning but. If that's the wake up wake up call he needed, he has been playing, in my opinion, like these are his last basketball games, in a competitive atmosphere, with a chance with all your friends, everything going on in the NCAA tournament. It's not going to get any better than this. This is all you have left. Um, he's not going to go to the NBA, and he's not going to play in the NBA. Most likely, he won't play in the NBA. He might play. You you don't think so? No. Not even not even as a role player. Might play in the G League. I'm saying, I'm saying that if, if he, if XR, oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. If XRM can find his way on a G League team, I believe that Terrence Mann could greatly in, enhance a team, at least as a role player. I, XRM I, was cut from that G League. Team. Well, yeah, but, but the point was is that he was there. Yeah, I, 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 but I'm saying okay. what I'm saying that it's trying. I'm trying to further my point in that. He probably will be going over to Europe or what or what not and okay. playing and playing well, basketball. If you said there. that, then yes. But, but but what I'm saying is. He he knows that these are these are the last days. You got to play and leave your heart on the floor, and you just see the energy him and Kevin Gelly are playing with is insane. Oh Every single play, they are just 
you can look at their mouth. They're, they're <laughs> in it. I, I wish I could let out a roar the way they are. That's the type of energy this Florida State team has needed to play with this entire season, Mike. Now, now take everything that you just said, and and this team still had the most wins of any Florida State men's basketball team in the history of the program. Where where would this team be if that personality from guys like Terrence Mann, who, yes, I remember the both of y'all calling him out, we kind of called him out too um, at WCTV. I, I, I definitely I I called him out, yeah. and rightfully so. Where like this team could have been even better. Just think about that. Consider how this team could have been so much better if that mentality and that junkyard dog mentality, not only on defense but translated to offense, it translated to scoring and getting to the rim and getting opportunities. Um, where this team would have been if that happened. I know it doesn't necessarily matter now, but hypothetically, that's cool to think about. He woke up. He woke up. And I think that's that's the, the good right thing. Time. At the right time, indeed. I think he also got healthy. I think that also helps because he was fighting injuries this whole season. I think the fact he got healthy and with everything going around surrounding this team, not just uh, you know, with Phil Cofer, but like with uh, things that he's going on with his life and things with the Virginia Tech the incident, I think that all has led up to where he's at now, and I think it's going to continue moving forward. So, Mike, I'm just going to toss this question to you first and everybody uh, in the studio. Well, I mean, not everybody in the studio. Everybody in the studio that has a mic and is willing to talk and chime in on this. Everyone just starts yelling. Uh, everybody starts yelling. Yeah. Rabble, rabble, rabble. That would make for a very terrifying scene. Um, obviously, There's Florida like State. 15 people in the studio Is right this now. like the fullest you've ever seen in the studio? I, um, I feel like, like there was a show that you did that Ryan was. Ryan Kelly's last show. That was special. Yes. Hmm. That was like my freshman year. We oh. had a lot of people in here for that one, but, that, you know. Uh, so moving on, uh, Gonzaga versus Florida State. This is a rematch from last year. Um, most, mostly everybody knows that. Um, and you know what they say about revenge games, uh, or well, at least how I think of revenge games. You always take the team looking for revenge over the team that had won the last meeting. Is that the mentality that you're taking to Mike? What do you, what do you think um, is going to happen in this game? Is Gonzaga going to uh, get revenge on Florida State for last year's Sweet 16 game? As far as the revenge mentality goes, I think that you could – decipher that this team has that as soon as Terrence Mann puts up the goggles in the middle of in the towards the end of the Murray State game when you know despite John Morant scoring 28 points and coming off of a game the previous game where he scored the first NCAA tournament triple double since 2012 with like 17 16 and 11 I mean this kid was doing great he still did pretty well in this game and yet Go back to what Kevin Gelly said after the Murray State game. Yeah, John Morant's really good, but I'll take 18 to 1 anytime. I'll take our team and our group of guys from 1 to 18 versus one guy who is certainly great and certainly a lot of lottery pick, blah, 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 blah. This game against Gonzaga, yeah, I guess the revenge mentality is going to be in it to a degree, um, considering that, you know, Florida State was vastly underseeded, and Gonzaga's head coach even said that as well in his press conference. What was that today, or was that yes? That was today's press conference where he said Florida State is no joke. I got to see some of their game the other day. Vastly underseeded, blah blah blah. This game is going to come down to the first half because if you look at Gonzaga this year, you look at their great victories. First of all, they lost. They lost to Tennessee and North Carolina back to back. That's something you could look at. But when they beat Duke, and when they beat beat Duke by just a little bit of you know a couple of points. Um, that game, that game really came down to me to the first half. Like Gonzaga was able to dominate in the first half. Duke was just not able to come back. Plus, that was the Maui Invitational. Yeah, RJ the, Barrett missed three of those shots at the end. 
it, Gonzaga plays good defense, but you know, everyone I when I'm hearing of, in the national media is, oh well, they Gonzaga beat Duke. They're a one seed. They beat you know, it's the Maui Invitational. It's like saying Syracuse could beat the, <laughs> like Syracuse is always going to be great in the Maui Invitational. Whatever. This game is going to come down to the first half because when you talk about, and it may come down to one or two possessions, but it's still going to come down to how the teams performed in the first half because when you're Florida State and you start the Murray State game 8 for 11 from beyond the arc, when you have 47 points from your bench, when you have 22 points from Fiondu Cabangeli, it is hard as the opposing team to come back and, and reciprocate that because Florida State's defense is never going to let up. That's one thing we know. That's one box that can be checked all the time. It's going to come down to the first half. I won't do the predict prediction yet, but expect something big in the first half from Florida State. Now, Mike, but Florida State has also been really good in terms of the comeback this season. Like, I, there have been – you look at the Virginia Tech game. They only scored 19 points in that first half. Like, I don't see any quit in this team, which I think is especially important going into the NCAA tournament. You are entirely correct. This this season, this season, this season, this game is not going to be indicative of this season, is what I'm saying. This game against Gonzaga, to me, is going to come down to the first half. This season has been great. They've been kind of like similar to Florida State softball, the cardiac kids, the comeback kids. The, a lot of these games had us on the edge of our seats. Um, but this game specifically, I think, is going to be different as far as the narrative goes from the rest of the season. Brett, when you think about everything that this team has been through this season, you talk about the the last second loss to Duke. You talk about that that you know two two or three game slide that they had in the middle of the season too. Um, you know, winning uh, eight or nine straight to then losing to North Carolina, beating Virginia in the ACC tournament, and now they're here. And now you have this this emotional weight. I'm not going to call it a weight. I'm not quite sure if that's the right word for it, but you have the emotional feeling of knowing that Phil Kofer is not going to be there. His father passed away. And, of course, it hasn't been said. I mean, we've been tiptoeing around it, but, of course, our sincerest uh, you know, prayers and thoughts go out to the Kofer family from all of us at Tomahawk Talk and VA9. But with all that's happened, all that's going on, with everything that this team has been through, how do you – prepare for a game like Gonzaga and I'm not saying that they haven't faced talent like Gonzaga before obviously they play in probably the best conference in the entire nation but there's a lot emotionally and you know of course mentally going on with this game are they ready for this yeah Florida State season up to this point has primed them for this tournament has primed them for this game they took care of all the mid-majors in their non-conference schedule put together a really good uh league, league record after starting off one and four and made a great run in the ACC tournament, is off to a great start in the NCAA tournament. And the easy answer for this game on Thursday night is to say that Florida State's going to have to ride on the backs of Terrence Mann and Fiondu Cabangeli, but I really think it's going to come down to the role players, the Devin Vassells, the Raekwon Grays, you know, David Nichols, is he going to be healthy? Is he going to play? Florida State's uh, biggest asset is their depth. And both Florida State and Gonzaga have great players. you got Hachimura and Brandon Clark for Gonzaga, Florida State's got Terrence Mann and Kevin Gelly. It's really going to come down to the depth, and I think that's what gives Florida State the edge on Thursday night. Lucas, what do you think? Absolutely. It's their depth that sets them apart from most other teams, you know, in this tournament. If, you know, guys like Calvin Gelly or Mann don't step up, there will be somebody on this team to step up, and that's really been their strength. They play every game, you know, pretty much been playing every game. Like, it's their last. They've stepped up. They've done what they needed to. It's been a special tournament thus far. 
And speaking of the special tournament uh, and March Madness is always crazy. It, I feel like more so than others, it's been a very tame March Madness. There have been some Cinderella stories. You, th you talk about Liberty getting their first NCAA tournament win uh, against Mississippi State uh, in the round of 64. You talk about um, UC Irving, uh, Irvine, and I, uh, Irvine. I got Irvine. that correct. And uh, Oregon, you know, there is a 12 seed in the in the Sweet 16, and that's not something that you see every day. But uh, I guess just a roundtable discussion. What's been the most surprising moment thus far uh, in this entire tournament? And I'm going to start with Lou because, Chris, I know that you were in Spain for a lot of this. Yes, the streams were very hard to come by <laughs> out there. Box scores have been my friend. It's It's got to be UCF in that regard. I don't think that you're going to get a better. Ooh, who else saw that coming? I don't Every, think that everybody you're in gonna... the studio yeah. raised but, their hands. But is he wrong? Is, but, wrong? but is he's he wrong? wrong? He's not wrong. I don't think. I don't so. think that you will see a better tournament game. Um, just the matchups. He put everything on paper. Danny White. He's going against his dad. If you don't know who Danny White is, he's the UCF athletic director. He's going against his dad, who's the Duke athletic director. Johnny Dawkins is going against Co Coach K, who was his boss and his coach uh, at the time. Taco Fall is going up against Zion Williamson, who he said, Zion ain't dunking on me, you know? <laughs> and he didn't. Zion did not dunk on him, and Taco Fall really did hold Zion in check. He scored 32, but just the disruption that he caused was that enough. And there wasn't a point in that game where you watch and said, I'm going to change the channel. There, there really wasn't. There was that intrigue because of you got a 7-6 guy out there, and then you have – probably the greatest the uh, the greatest player in the NCAA right now, Zion Williamson, going out and putting his team on his back. So there's there's as as I alluded to a little bit earlier in the show, it's it kind of feels like there hasn't been a March Madness signature moment and that was gonna be it. The one that was gonna play on one shining moment was that the celebration and everything. And with the teams left, it's kind of chalk, you know. The, it's not going to be too much of a surprise when teams end up winning. And if Florida State goes through, is that really, really what you were looking for in a Cinderella story? Well, because th we should be good. Well, Florida State should be when good. you when you talk about UCF versus Duke, the reality is that UCF was a, a caught alley oop and an offensive foul. Uh, and Luke is about to throw his hat at the wall. And uh, a putback. And a putback. And a putback and a, uh, and a free throw, a box out, uh, a hook. It's there a game so of many things. There's so, there's so many things, and you can't. As he rolls out his, God, like, five-mile-long you know, list of things. God did not want, you know, UCF to win that game, and I just. It wasn't in the books. It wasn't in the books. But regardless, uh, I mean, UCF UCF was a caught lob in an I'm reading from foul. the second book of Zion. <laughs> I love that. Bazinga. Um, you're literally just a couple of things away from us, you know, sitting here tonight talking about how overrated Duke was this season and how UCF was such a big surprise. And maybe, maybe you agree with me on that. Maybe, maybe you don't. But, Chris, I posed a question to you. Was this just the best, I guess, matchup? against Duke that we've seen thus far this season is Taco Fall. I mean, you can't coach 7-6, first of all. But Now, wait, are you talking about on paper? I'm, I'm not necessarily talking – well, I am talking about on paper, but – and I'm also talking statistics-wise. Was UCF really – was this I, – I guess I'm trying to say, was this game a fluke for UCF or was it really just the best game plan against Zion? Uh, this tournament does something 
to teams that to underdogs in particular. And I, I mean, admittedly, I I don't follow UCF basketball. I don't know how they've done this. <laughs> well, season. you should know them now because they're already uh, right. com- uh, proclaiming themselves the national champions. Um, <laughs> go ahead. Um, but I think this is this is probably this is the highlight game for for this UCF team uh, this season. And just seeing the way that they the way that they performed against such a highly touted uh, Duke team, a, a team that still is favored to take it all the way. Um, yes, I, I think this has been something to look forward to. And, and like I said, it's the highlight of the season. As, as Luke is Luke – we're, we're trying to resuscitate Luke. Luke, uh, yeah. It's okay. The, the hour is almost up for Luke, basically, because of it. Um, out of the – Brandon, out of the, the, the eight games that we have coming up, um, what which matchup are you most looking forward to? Um, real quick, I want to comment on the uh, the matchup between Duke and UCF. Go ahead. I think yeah, the real. I, I, <laughs> I think <laughs> about that. The, the game plan. I don't think you guys realize what happened last night. No, I do. <laughs> the I'm game just, plan crying, against man. against Duke was phenomenal. Um, I don't know if you guys noticed, but Taco Fall was actually matched up with Trey Jones the whole game. He guarded him from the paint. <laughs> Helped, helped. They played help defense with Taco just sitting in the paint. So whenever Zion, whenever RJ, whenever uh, Cam decided to drive to the basket, Taco was just sitting there waiting. And, and then not, they sent Trey to Jones to the perimeter. Yeah, go yeah. ahead, shoot. He missed shoot. like eight three and points. He was he one for ten from three. He, That's crazy. Was he one for ten? I thought he was one, one for, for maybe that was just three. Three. one for and eight, one for nine, yeah, something like that. So but the game plan, <laughs> the game plan was was crazy. It's like how they do with Ben Simmons. When it terms when it comes in the playoffs, it's a similar it's a similar game plan. I think that was key. I think that was what helped them uh, be able to play them as close, as, along with Aubrey Dawkins just going off. But I think the best matchup is going to be Gonzaga for the state, in my opinion. Uh, Michigan Texas Tech is going to be a great game, but I think because of the storyline, which the NCAA decided to set up so well um, <laughs> as a rematch as last year in the same Sweet Sixteen. Um, I think the storyline is going to be great. Brandon Clark, who wasn't there last year, is going to be in this game. Tilly, who wasn't in that game last year, is going to be in this game. We have all majority of our people coming back. We're playing hot. We don't have Phil Kofer. I think the storyline and the matchup is going to go well, and I think it's going to be a, a, a heck of a game. Brett? Yeah, the the one I'm looking forward to this weekend is Virginia Tech and Duke, and this is this is a little bit of ACC bias uh, shining through. Uh, but Buzz Williams versus Coach K, that's going to be a great coaching matchup. You've got a lot of talent on that Hokies roster with Kerry Blackshear and Ahmed Hill, and it's it, this one. You know, Duke barely uh, ex- escaped uh, UCF, and I think uh, they're going to be on the ropes again on um, Friday night. Mike, final comment. If on what? Uh, if any oh. UCF versus Duke. Oh wow! Um, well, you you wanted to talk about you, no, you, I, the, no. The I just floor is to yours. That, like you know, that's not a, that, that game plan that UCF had was not too far removed from what a lot of teams have done successfully against Duke this year. It's just that the physicality that UCF brought and the lack of shooting that Duke brought was really why I think you saw basically a game that UCF had in the bag, a game that UCF won. And then lost, and then you know literally let it slip away. They had it all there. They had the game plan, and when it came to bodies, physical bodies, they had a seven foot six person in the middle that was blocking those shots. Duke's moving on. Um, if if Duke goes you know farther in this tournament, 
this will be the game that everyone talks about for the rest of the year, most likely. But, I mean, man, uh, yeah, that was quite the game. In terms of matchups this weekend, FSU-Gonzaga, uh, or at least like the Sweet 16 Elite Eight weekend. FSU, yeah, FSU-Gonzaga is the one that, that I'm, <laughs> I got my eyes locked on because FSU has perhaps never looked better under uh, Leonard Hamilton. And Gonzaga has someone in Brandon Clark who they didn't have last year in the matchup against Florida State. And they have that other, yeah, right, and they have the other guy who got hurt in the the pregame warmups against FSU last year. This is gonna be, this is gonna be a game, fellas. Luke, you had a final comment as well before my, we go to a bit of a break. Yeah, my final comment is uh, Gonzaga wins against Florida State or like my ex-girlfriend, oh. non-existent Careful. Florida State Whoa. with the win, baby. Care Whoa. Okay, wow. Whoa. Wow. Whoa. Wow. That's a statement. Okay. Tweet it. Gianna, tweet it. Uh, on that note, we are going to take about uh, maybe a two-and-a-half-minute break. We're going to flip the panel. We're going to use the bathroom. We're going to get some water. Mike, thank you for coming on the show for this hour. Luke, you always know I appreciate you. Brett, Lucas, thank you. We're going to flip the panel. We'll be right back. You're listening to Tomahawk Ooh, Talk. On and Brandon Spencer. And Brandon Spencer. And Brandon Spencer. Well, he was almost out the door. <laughs> He's got a meeting to go to. We'll be back in a couple of minutes. You are listening to Tomahawk Talk on WFFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State.